0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tech Talk and the Pat Price Tech Talk training room. I'm Larry Gassman, and with us today is the director of the National Library Service, and he's Jason Broughton, and he's with us to talk about a lot of things having to do with NLS. It's been some years since we've had a director with us, but they've got a lot of great things happening in the future, and he will talk and chat, and then we will open for questions. So, uh, when that time comes, you can raise hands and we'll talk more about that when that time draws nearer. But first of all, let's uh, say thank you for coming and welcome, Jason, to Tech Talk.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Well, within that, I am uh, new to NLS. My name is Jason Broughton and I'm the new NLS director. Um, and my goodness, let's a little bit about myself. I'm coming from what is called one of our network libraries. Originally, uh, before this position and this appointment, I was the Vermont State Librarian. So I was there doing a lot of wonderful things in that beautiful state that I call uh, a wondrous Eden, even in the winter and definitely in the uh, summer. Just a wonderful, beautiful place. With that, our network library there was able to rename itself Um known as the Audio Braille Large Print and Electronic Resources Library, otherwise known as ABLE. It was one of the first in the country to focus on the services that it provides to people so that it could kind of refocus itself on doing what it does best, which is services for all those people in Vermont. Um, Prior to that, I was the assistant state librarian there and again, had a wondrous time. And prior to that, library director in Savannah, Georgia. There was a lot of people who asked Um, Why in the world did you leave Savannah, Georgia to go to Vermont, (laughs) particularly in the winter, because it can be quite a a very cold place. But it was a wonderful experience. And I had some friends there who had known for a long, long time, like 20 and 30 years. So just wonderful people. I also, um, prior to that, worked at the South Carolina State Library for a long duration. And it is where I became a librarian. And prior to that, I worked in education. Um, for, as a school teacher of science, a biology degree, and did quite a lot. And one of the things that people do know me for when they do get to meet me is that I do like uh to cook. And for those who really get to know me, if you are lucky, I will make a baked treat because I used to be a pastry chef at the early part of my career. But that was so long ago, in the early 90s, so long ago. Uh, but time moves on. But again, enjoyable. That's a little bit just about me for those who might not have known who I was, but a lot to share. And I love, again, to talk and within that just have conversation, but doing, I would say, quite a lot now that I'm director of NLS and looking at what we can do for services in a variety of ways when it comes to technology, our collection, and a whole host of things and working with collaborative partners.
0: Did you ever think long ago and far away when you were pastry chef, someday I'd like to be the director of the National Library Service, or was that something that just happened along the way?
1: I was that definitely happened along the way once I became a librarian. In um, a pastry chef, I, I thought I was going to be, a, I'll say it up front, someone told me, oh, my goodness, in the 90s, they went, you could be the Black Emerald Lagasse. And I was like, no, I don't think I'll be that great. Like, he's amazing to me at that time. But the 90s was very different um, when you once think about it, because we didn't really have a lot of focus on food. It was always there. But the Food Network and Food Channels and how we deal with food now was not the way we did that in the 90s. There wasn't a lot of things one could do. You needed to kind of hone your own skill, make your own brand, probably do a cookbook. Um, cable TV had not; it was just not the way it is now. So a lot of opportunities for those who are in the culinary realm to make their mark. But I would say once I had the opportunity to become a librarian, and there's a little bit of a, a story in that now, I guess I'll give it because People do find it quite uh, unique. Uh, I had to return to South Carolina, where I'm originally from, born and raised, in a little tiny town called Cross, C-R-O-S-S, Cross, South Carolina, Uh, within that, and take care of my mother. My father had uh, died many years prior. He was one of the first African-American men who was lieutenant sheriff in Berkeley County. So I have law enforcement, military in my background. As far as my family, and I chose um, education and public service to kind of make my mark in that realm. But I returned home to take my mother who had dementia. And in doing so, I had to kind of start over. It was a really tough time and something that one had to get used to. But coming through that challenge, my mother's now deceased. Um, it did make me become, I would say, a very different person in the sense of I am much more humble than who I thought I was at the time. It is such a different experience to go through with that. But I was able to start off in Charleston County as a workforce development trainer and helping people uh, who were unemployed. So I had to kind of like totally restart my um, work life. I returned home. This is the one caveat some people might, might, probably find a little bit easier. During the first recession, so you're talking about 2008, I returned home to try to find a job in that time. So it's very difficult, but I get a job in Charleston County and helped a lot of people who are unfortunate were becoming unemployed. In doing so, I was asked to come out and start doing these presentations at libraries because there were people who understood that I had this little gift of somehow helping a lot of people Um, get interviews. And I tell people up front, I did not do that. Those individuals got themselves the interview. All I did was help them see themselves in a different light because all I did was just say, well, here's how the employment process works. And here's what you need to do when you're thinking about making yourself and your skills um, marketable to people who say they are looking for a job, um, for a position to be filled. In doing so, a librarian named Cynthia Hurd, who worked for the Charleston County Public Library System um, in South Carolina, asked me to come to her library. And I did. And we sat down before this happened and just kind of discussed what it is she was looking for. Because I worked with all types of people. I'm talking about the mature crowd. So one would call them seniors. I worked with uh, young people who were having a hard time trying to find jobs because the adults were taking over those types of jobs. I worked with disabled a variety of different capacities and different types of items um oh my goodness high skill workers low skill workers people with no education whatsoever and then i had a very unique population of people i worked with were those who had access let's say to limited options because of barriers in other words so you might consider a person not talking about very simple items like transportation in some cases. We're literally talking about um, arrest records and felons. So within that, I was able to get them opportunities to be interviewed in a variety of ways. And she just said, could you come to my library and and let's plan a program? Did this and had just a wonderful time working with her um, over many, many months. And one day she sat me down and said, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but I have something to tell you. And so here she is, the branch manager. And I was like, oh, I must have done something wrong. You know, when the branch manager tells you, hey, I need to tell you something. I just went, oh, somebody must have complained. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. she says, no, 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 no. I need to tell you. I don't know why someone just didn't connect with you first. And again, I was like, oh, did I have bad breath? Was there a book in my nose? I, I don't understand, <laughs> like I'm kind of slopping my appearance. And then she says, I just wonder what would have happened if someone had gotten to you and just discussed with you what it means to be a librarian. And I remember looking at her like, there's no money in that. I I, I don't understand this, <laughs> And then she says, well, you did go into education. There's no money in that. And so we both had a wonderful laugh. But she was very serious about this. And I, I told her, I said, one of the things that was very unique about me is I was scared to death of the librarian when I was growing up, actually scared to death. I would never forget her name. Um, she's a deceased woman, a wonderful woman once I got to know her, but her name was Gertrude Smith. When I was going to Sandridge Elementary, I was terrified of this woman, terrified. My mother told me I came home one day almost like in a panic attack because she told me that we had to learn the ABCs or else, And I just was about to pass out as a child. I couldn't couldn't stand it. But I I learned my ABCs to make sure that I did not have any type of issues occur to me um, as this occurred in the late 60s and early 70s. But within that, when she said this, she kind of planted the seed, and I didn't think much of it, and I still came around every so often to do programs for her. We had a wonderful, I would say, friendship that was burgeoning. And then one day she said, I have something that I saw. And I looked at it and I said, oh, there's a job offer. And she says, I think you'd be great for this job. And it was with the South Carolina State Library. And I remember just looking at it and just putting it in my bag. And over the weekend when I was preparing, because I'm a preparer, I prepare, you know, for Monday and for the week on Sunday to kind of understand what I need to do. And I really looked at it and I started to notice that I was doing all of the job requirements they were asking, and more. And so I applied. And um, to my shock, I actually got the job (laughs) in Columbia, South Carolina. So that is where the State Library of South Carolina is located. And I became, again, a workforce development trainee, except I was now assisting all of the libraries, primarily public in the state of South Carolina, with workforce development and helping people at that really tough time coming to libraries to apply for job using connectivity through the public service computers that they have. Think about library programming and helping the unemployed youth, uh, people who already had degrees or just trying to figure out what to do during this time because it's quite unique. South Carolina was at that point one of the 10 states hardest hit with unemployment in the country. And so I was in high demand and would come by and do programs for her and then, unfortunately, one evening while I was driving home, it was a late evening um, from Columbia. I was residing in my parents' house, which is now mine. And I remember hearing this, which was there was a issue in Charleston. There, unfortunately, had been a gunman who had decided to go into a church. And I thought nothing of that. The next morning I got up and then to my surprise, because I listened to the news while I would drive to work, they said they understood who was now unfortunately no longer with us from the church, which is Mother Emmanuel. And unfortunately, when they said, oh, I've learned it's a, one of the people is a librarian, one of the things that really stood out for me was I was going to know who that was. Mother Emanuel is an African-American church historically, and I'm an African-American male, for those who might not have uh, known. And I kind of knew almost all the public library directors in South Carolina. I knew them very well, and I knew each one um, with their own unique sense, whether it be by race, ethnicity, so when I knew that church was called, I knew exactly I was going to know someone who knew her. And then they said the name, and then that was probably the more shocking part when they said Cynthia heard. So this was a woman who told me she thought that I should be a librarian, was unfortunately gunned down by Dylan Ruth. So for that, I continued forward. And eventually, um, which is a whole another conversation that we're not going to get into, one which are, a bunch of unique happenstances and serendipity, as some would say, I ended up um, a few years later becoming a librarian. And I hope I have lived up to the expectations that she has held for what she did at her library, which was some wonderful things for the community. She was such a community-oriented person that... Um, I just continued forward. As I moved through librarianship, one of the things that I've always wanted to do was to make sure that the priorities of a library are always there to provide access at different levels, because it requires that people have different parts of connections to a library. Now, some people will immediately say, well, we want to make sure that we have a lot of equality. Yes, we should. But there also has to be some equity. And some people find that quite unique when I state that comment, which is the best example I would give you would be when I hear people say, well, I treat everybody the same. And I said, have you worked in customer service? And they might say, yes. And I said, you actually do that. And they said, yes. And I said, well, I'd fire you. And they usually are appalled. And the reason for that is if you work in customer service, each issue that comes before you and you have them is different. You can treat the service in a very equalizing way, but you can't treat the situation that requires equity. Each person requires something different sometimes, some people more, some people less, but you can definitely equalize it to ensure that you are accepting that. And so one of the things that I have tried to do is to make sure that we understand when we're talking about community outreach or engagement, that we are really connecting to all parts of our communities. If we can do it, that is a tremendous and monumental task. It is ever changing, ever evolving, but it is something that libraries have tried to do since I would say, since I became a librarian, some wonderful things. But in my case, it's always making sure that we know who is wanting to connect with us. In some cases, some libraries um, don't do it as well as they should. But in my case, one of the things I've tried to do, particularly working at state libraries, is to make sure that we really have a robust, diverse group of people, particularly when it comes to those who are vision impaired and print disabled. And that is a whole different subset of wonderful people who really should have never had to ask for these types of services in our country because these things should always be put at the forefront, not in hindsight, Um, but here we are. And we are doing what we believe is the best thing possible. So, it's always been there with me, sometimes in the back of my mind. And over time, I realized it was coming to the forefront (laughs) louder than any other type of situation. Because I would say the other areas that one would look at for outreach, they can get covered. Language is quite unique. Um, That can be created when it comes to a few other items, of course, when it comes to the different types of race and ethnicities, that can get covered. But what people will struggle with, which they say is inclusive, is going to be things for vision impairment and the print disabled. And also one could even say deaf in some cases, a deaf community. Those things people find unfortunate, like, oh, that's the best word I usually get. I mm-hmm. Because you hadn't really thought about that, because most people might not have interacted with someone. They don't have them on their boards usually. They would say they found a way to maybe try to assess it, but they didn't see enough people. And I'm always surprised by that because I can look at stats and numbers when people took the census, because I also did that in the state of Vermont. I oversaw the census. And one gets to know exactly when people are counted, where people live at and participate and say, well, I know there's a demographic here and here's what this might look like in your community. And people are usually surprised by that. So, I'm always tasking libraries to say, do more, do better. Um, let's move beyond just a connection for a l- group, but to say, are they on your board? Are they coming in for different types of meetings? Have you connected to them in different types of ways? And usually people let you know they're surprised that they are not thought about it in that way. But that's from my level of where I am now and how I'm trying to get more people to understand how important it is to have services that really are things that people shouldn't have had to ask for in the first place. So I'll stop there on that.
0: So let's talk a little bit bit about the services most of us in this room know about National Library Service. We read the books. In fact, it's one of the most popular conversations we all get into in terms of book reading because we all love to read. And it's uh, probably neck and neck with technology, etc. And there's a little bit of both coming uh, in the future with regard to things that that NLS is doing. And maybe we can talk about some of those projects and what you expect for the future.
1: We can. Oh, my goodness. Well, I would definitely say you hit the nail on the head because the two are in sync, which would be the collection itself and resources and materials, followed by how those are delivered to the end user. Those two will always go hand in hand and have been, I would say, doing so for the last nine years. Now we're in our 91st year celebrating that. And it is a really interesting time to see what we have been creating from the outset to where we are now. Most people, in a sense, are utilizing a whole, I would say, smorgasbord of things in which depending on how you'd like to have it, where you see some changes actually coming. So in some cases, early on, we have Guard, and that allows us to look at what a platform looks like on the software side and virtual. And so therefore, you don't necessarily need a player, but you are able to bring your own device to that. That is something that we see a lot more people probably beginning to utilize in the future, and we will need to prepare ourselves for that. But it does not mean that our hard line, which I can call it that, will ever go away. We always are going to have people who are not going to have the best services when it comes to their state's connectivity or internet access, and it means what does that look like for a user? That also does go the way of obsolescence. For those who understand what that term is, it's a built-in degradation of a technological tool. It's kind of like those of us who um, really, really loved our, let's say, flip phones. In fact, some of you might have flip phones. I have not had a flip phone since the 1990s, and I had a wonderful one that I loved until all of a sudden I learned that they built in a thing to make it not work after a point in time. So if you've experienced that, that is wonderfully known as obsolescence but that's a whole different conversation that we could talk to you about why they do that. But back to um, what we do with our platforms. One of the things that a lot of people know that we have is going to be the device itself with the cartridges. And we continuously see that being modernized, but on a much more slower trajectory. One of the things that we are also focusing on that we have done as a pilot, and to our, I would say, amazement, not necessarily a surprise, but to our amazement, there is a clamoring for, which we are now having to think about how we want to move forward with this. For those who have had to experience the Braille e-reader, Braille is also a part of that. We know that it will always be here in print, but what a marvelous thing one can do if you can advance that where you're now having electronic Braille. So with that, we have done a pilot um, across the nation at a few of our network libraries. And we found that we have had people let us know that they were clamoring to even get into the pilot because of what they were hearing with the device. So we are looking at procuring more of those devices right now, however. Because of the way life is with this pandemic, supply chains are are slowed and kind of down, so we are having to navigate that because things unfortunately were globalized, whether you like that or not, prior to the pandemic, and we are now experiencing the let's say rebound of that what does it mean to have those supply chains start to reset and then reformulate it? plus there's a few other things that are occurring, which is um Inflation being one, (laughs) and because of inflation, gas. So you're talking about transportation routes. But nevertheless, we were extremely pleased to see the feedback that we received from a lot of people with what they were downloading and the amount of increases of people utilizing it through the pilot, where the numbers were just wonderfully astounding to us, and it's considered a bright star. So, we are examining what it looks like to have more, and then we will also look at what does it look like to distribute that in the near future. But when I said the near future, we're not talking months. we're given this situation we're probably talking about a year. But we are thrilled to see the responses and comments with the ebraille reader project that we have come back to NLS for what it actually does and making sure that we can offer a full spectrum of different devices when it comes to our online, which is Bard, the eBraille reader, and some other items. We were looking, I would say we've slowed it a bit, at a different venue, which would be a smartphone, but that has given us some pause is the easiest way to say that. It might not be what we might want to do but we are still examining what that can look like there's a little bit more of a challenge on that i'm going to get into the, the technology side of it it just is a very very unique and different item and there are some cost constraints that are quite interesting as we still examine that one of the things that we have found that a lot of people have also discussed with us which is if you have a voice um automated service that you can have conversation with, such as an Alexa or a Siri. That is something that a lot of people have kind of hinted at. What does that look like if NLS could do something like that? So we are also researching a voice-activated system. That, of course, is a wonderful challenge. And if one were to do it in a way that is ex- extremely successful, it will probably change a lot of the people who are also trying to achieve this goal. For example, no one at this current moment has had voice activation connect to a library catalog or a catalog of almost any type and do it in a way that is seamless. One can give examples, but One must also think of it in this way from a librarian's perspective. I'm trying to make it where people can kind of um, think about it this way. You are asking an algorithm to connect to basically a database that, in my opinion, has to be perfectly pristine, which means you have incorporated all of the key search terms and all of the various cataloging fields, which means that any command in any geographical accent, verbiage, tone, dialect can be understood. And then once that is inputted, it will know how to then search the catalog and find exactly a gathering of formats and genres that you might be interested in even if it's not the exact one it will get you close and allow you to peruse which one you would like unless of course as i said again it is so extremely pristine and precise that when you say you wish to have it in a specific format it takes you right there that is a challenge because you have two separate things that need to be wonderfully specific and accurate that when they do start to connect with each other, it goes off without a hitch. But that's the part, that's the hard part. And I would say that we are researching this, not from a talk standpoint, we are in a prototype phase of looking to see what this might look like. And for the federal government, we would probably be, for the market itself, on the cutting edge right now of doing this. So we, I'm not going to say are thrilled, we are happy, but we are very methodical and it takes some time and we are uh, taking our lumps as it comes because it's not easy. There's a lot of challenges with this, but we are very happy to be going the way we are. I can't give you any more than that. I know that that is the best update i can give you but we are a ways away from making it um the way we would like it before it could get to any type of release because there's a lot of things that need to be adjusted and found out to be corrected before such an item goes
0: i would assume that one of the issues that plague siri and alexa is sometimes how the user asks the question Correct. And so if that comes into play, I mean, I don't know that we – how do you get it to the point where the user asks the question close enough so that the assistive device knows how to respond and give the answer that that user wants?
1: You're talking about having, as I said, a lot of data mm-hmm. being put into that system where it can pull terms that it believes is associated with what you are trying to say. For example, you're looking at, um, oh my goodness, colloquialisms that also have to be added, regionalisms. Uh, you're going to look, for example, the simplest ones that you might have to think about. Let's start with the word you. Now, if you are northern, sometimes in New England, you might hear, of course, New Jersey, New, New York style of "use," "use guys. If you're Southern or Midwestern, we're dealing with y'all. So how does the system begin to think about what you are trying to say? All of that would have to be inputted. So you're talking about a huge index of terms in which once it rolls off of the lips, it at least will say, I think I know what you are trying to ask for. So let me begin pulling up this deck. Of terms and get you as close as possible. That is an interesting challenge. But if you can pull it off, boy, what a wonderful thing to have that be at your fingertips. It makes life totally, totally different for a lot of people.
0: We have uh, probably 30 minutes left, and I know that you have more to discuss. We also have a few raised hands, or did a little while ago. 75 people in the room, so we ne- we definitely have some people who are raising hands. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, okay. Uh, Joshua is first. All right. Um, I just want to uh, make a quick comment. First of all, uh, Jason, great presentation. Um, quick comment. Those of you who have iPhones, one way that you can use your Lady A right now to listen to Bard books in the Bard mobile app is to go into, into the A Lady app, go to Devices, and connect your iPhone via Bluetooth. And then all you have to do is tell your A-Lady to connect. She will say Searching, and then you'll hear a tone, and then your iPhone will be connected via Bluetooth to your A-Lady, and then you can go into Bard Mobile and go into your uh, Bard Book and play it through your A-Lady. It sounds really, really good, by the way. So it can be done now if you have, if you have a smartphone. Just wanted to pass that on. What a wonderful helpful tip. Thank you, Joshua. Thanks. Okay, Marcia. What
2: I would like to see happen is in the BARD mobile app. Um if you have to get a new phone for whatever reason, you lose all you lose all of your books. And so what about getting barred up into the cloud or in such a way that when you have to get a new phone and you're backing up your apps and putting it on your new phone, you don't lose all your books?
1: That is something I'm writing down right now. You have touched upon a topic that we are in talks with, and we are looking to see what this looks like for the federal government to assist us with this in our IT department, which is to move bar to the cloud. So that is its own process, but this is now being noted that this is a request, and I have uh, written this down. So as you ask me questions, you better believe that I'll be taking this back to parts of my staff and my senior advisors, particularly in IT, and letting them know about some of these types of items. So with that, I can't say that will answer the question, but I definitely believe it should if we pull this off right. Because one of the things that my staff, um, I would say understands for me is they hear a little phrase, which I say, we don't have to, in a sense, be right. We need to get it right which is the more important item. And items like this sound like it needs to, in a sense, be done right so that we can get it right. So I'm going to take this one back and find out what this actually looks like. I am happy to um, offer answers back to Larry, and that way it could be promoted back to the community. So I have his email, and I'm writing down these questions, and I hope to get some responses back to you.
0: And then we'll put them on the list so that people can yeah, see them.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Marsha. Okay, Jeannie is next.
3: Um, I'm very glad to see, even though I haven't been playing trumpet for a while, I'm glad to see that you have more trumpet music available, you know, such as like the three volumes of the auditions that trumpet um, often have to play in auditions to symphony. Um, but I want to know, how is your digitized Program coming along because there's um, a lot of guitar music that w- was done a long time ago from other countries that lacked something such as fingering. And so I was wondering how, how that was coming along. Classical guitar.
1: All right, thank you. I would say one of the things that you hit upon is this wonderful treaty that we have with Marrakesh that has exposed us to be able to a variety of different things in different languages and add it uh, to our collection so that we can make it available. When it comes to digitization, we have had a little bit of a slowdown. Our music section is working tremendously hard, but at the same time, it's a unique skill to actually have someone who can navigate the digitization and understand the musical scores and have as appropriate for a person who is not able to understand it fully. We have hired some people. I would say it was um, a little bit of a challenge. I did not know how hard it was until I experienced it myself as director, where we have been able to hire the people that we actually need to start getting back up to speed. And I know some due to the pandemic, and A lot of us having to work uh, in a hybrid model, but usually most of the staff was out of the office. And now we've hired and we are starting to turn forward, which we hope to then start putting up a lot more items at this time. So there was a bit of a slowdown. We have rectified that. Um, As long as um, we have people, it can actually be done. So I apologize on that, but it is a little bit of our life given what the pandemic has done to us as a society, but we are now starting to uh, turn ahead and we hope to add a lot more items to the collection. And I will let uh, yet poll know about this. And I'm quite sure she'll be pleased to know that we are out there, I would say, enjoying the music selections that we've had that you can have from method books and learning experiences.
0: Thank you, Jane. Okay, Abraham is next.
1: I'm wondering, I know you guys have the treaty that you talked about. Is there any chance in the near future you might start getting some more books from the UK and Europe added to huh. the collection? UK and Europe. Yeah. Now, that I would have to check specifically on the agreements, because one of the things <laughs> that people know is these are all uh, agreements, to be, in a sense, connect with to see what those are. There could actually uh, be a, a slow down again because of some of the rights that we need to examine based upon the treaty that's agreed to. And I think a little bit of this also might be the pandemic. And unfortunately, um, <laughs> there is a a war that <laughs> has stopped some things on the other part of the world that hope is not going to um, impact in a dramatic way but I don't see why we would not be able to get that unless there are some unique items that might be requested. So I did you have any specific genres that you were thinking? Um,
4: mostly sci- sci-fi, and there's a lot of sci-fi okay. and fa- fantasy narrators that
1: uh, just have better tones that are from Europe and the UK that I've enjoyed. Okay. I mean, you say tone, you're talking about uh, narrated? Yeah, narrators. Okay. This helps a lot. This allows me to zero in on exactly what you are seeing, because I'm quite sure our collections person would say, hey, what do you mean? I'm trying to get all this stuff. And, but now you've yeah. given genre and some different items yeah. and this will allow us to examine that. Can there be more? Oh, okay, cool. Or what's the time frame on doing? That? Learn some things that somebody might share with me to say, well, here's the hang up. So I will find out on that one.
0: Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Carla's next.
3: First of all, um, you had alluded to the, um, you know, the Alexa and being able to listen listen to the books through Alexa. And I was wondering if you needed an iPhone to do that or if you could do that through your computer app. You know, you could go through your Alexa app there because that's how I set mine up. And the other thing is um, I would like to know, I'd like to have more of a description of the new cartridge player, I understand that our current cartridge player is coming to the end of its production cycle, and that you'll be rolling out a new one that's sort of going to be like um, some sort of a more like a Victor-like thing or a Stratus-like thing. And I'd like to know more about what it's going to be like and and when it's going to be rolled out. Uh, So those are my questions.
1: Hmm. All right, let's start off with the Alexa, I would say, a smart speaker type of item. This will be a work in progress. I know that when it comes to our creation of items, they are unique to us, but this is something where we are not a crossroads, the better word to use is probably a juncture to see what it might look like to connect with certain types of vendors who would allow our platform to be picked up and utilized by their service as well so those are all going to be contractual conversations that we would need to have for that to happen and if they agree then off we go running together Um, Of course, that means having a lot of conversations because we are the federal government. (laughs) If you know how that kind of works, there's a lot of legal conversations that would need to be held as to why we want to do certain types of things. But it is something that we would be entertaining. Otherwise, if that is not the case, then it would be a standalone type of item. But I'm quite sure there would be other expressions is the best way to say it of how it could be accessed. It might not exactly be on let's say a Spotify or a unique type of channel, but I believe there would be some cross pollinations to probably a few software platforms more than just having it on one individual thing, which would just be the NLS type of system. Because our goal is to make sure, at least under my reign, that we are able to be what you would like us to have and if we don't have it we'd like to make sure that we can connect you to those who do so it's in an essence of looking at ourselves as we're always a library but i call ourselves a true library in the sense of resources but also informational so if we don't have it we'd like to make sure that we can direct you to where that actually can be done and that's a little bit of a change in direction and one that we are going to uh, be doing in the future Part B of your question, sounds like you are talking about what is known as our uh, DTBM and our DA2 machine, which is going to be kind of like a bridge player. When I say a bridge player, it is like a stopgap as we are looking at just as what you said, what it looks like to realize that we are coming to the end of a life cycle for one specific type of player and need to begin thinking about what the future looks like with another. Those discussions have started. We have, in a sense, some prototypes. But there are some things that we are wanting to perfect. And as you might have heard, one of the problems with uh, the good can be the enemy known as perfection. I would prefer to have something perfected, which we want to make sure our users have the best quality and the best design and also ease of use. And if that is not happening, what we are needing to do is to ask some questions of the people who are creating these items, what can be done on that? The device would be lighter. I can definitely tell you that not as heavy. Um, it will be sleeker. The buttons will pretty much remain the same, but they will be a little bit different, again, for ease of use. Um That's the best I can kind of say because we are still, again, in a prototype stage, but it is coming and we are beginning to feel comfortable with what it looks like. And then we will roll it out for people to tell us what they think about it. But there are still a few glitches that we would like to work out when it comes, in a sense, to some of the, I would say, voice and the speech. It is not exactly where we feel as comfortable as we
0: would like. Phone user, area code 757.
5: Hi, Jason. I just left working at the, I was working at the Virginia Beach sub-regional library with someone that you know, Caitlin.
1: Oh, yes. I've been I, just, years I still, we still connect though through social media. Yes. <laughs> wonderful. Yes, he's
5: wonderful. And my, my question and comment would be that I just, I just don't understand why Victor stream users have to get all these keys because if you're using an iPhone, you know, I mean, I've heard, well, they don't want other people using the, uh, I don't know, the, the Bard and all this stuff, but other people have, I mean, we have iPhones and we don't have to get keys. Why do we have to have keys with, for the Victor stream? Because believe me, this is something that I did a lot in my, years of working at the subregional was helping people with passwords and helping people get their keys. And for most of us who have victors can tell you, this is really a pain. (laughs) That's something I would like to see changed. And also, I was wondering if in BAR, they can put the foreign language books in a separate link. Sometimes you will have 50 foreign language books, one right after the other. And when you're scrolling through, it's just an, an added nuisance. That is my two suggestions. Thank you. I, I could definitely, give you a bunch more, but I won't, I won't take everybody's <laughs> time to do that.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate that. until I said, hello, I definitely will be taking this back to our staff. And there are some things that we're going to start mm-hmm. to look at. Um, I would definitely say under my reign, which again is, we're looking at ease of access and what does that look like as opposed to creating, I would call them hindrances. Now, of course, that does not mean that we are going to be working as fast as one might like. I will always say this again, which is we are the federal government, which can mean that we are working at the pace of a slow melting glacier. So, and <laughs> understanding that, it might take us a little while. But we will see what this looks like. So as I heard it, it's definitely, why do we have to have all these keys? It is, in a sense, a chore to kind of navigate this. But the Victor Stream, why do we simply have to have this? Can't some things be done to make this a little bit easier? Followed by, can the foreign language books be put in a separate link to not be so cumbersome? Yes.
5: And get the theories out quicker. Oh, okay. Oh, I've finished two series in the last week, and I'm still waiting for the rest of the books. And they are on, some of them are on Hoopla, but not on Bard. And I'm having a fit.
1: <laughs> I understand that one. I would definitely talk with our collection development person to see what can be done. Okay. <laughs> next
0: is Sharon. I'm
1: sorry.
5: Okay. Um, wonderful presentation. And I can't believe nobody's talked about the e reader. I'm so excited and can't wait to get it into my hands um will we get a choice or will we just get what the state gets and are they going to start doing more a lot more bail books with since the e-reader is coming out
1: Hmm. great questions at the current moment we are working with uh two vendors one of them has definitely been able to put out I would say, a little bit more than the other. But based upon what we have, we are probably going to look at what the cost factors are and the availability to make that decision. At the moment, I can't say which one it might be because we only have two vendors with it, so it would probably be one or the other. But if things are working the way they appear to be, one might have a little bit more in the sense of um, numbers than the other, but I'm not sure about a choice yet because we will be navigating what it looks like to make this cost efficient and effective for the end user. So Mm -hmm. that probably have a little bit of a factor in what comes out to the network and then comes out to you. Um, That is kind of like up in the air, but it'll definitely be one of the two based upon what actually looks like as far as cost.
5: Okay. And I'm I'm with Larry. I'm I want
1: it now. <laughs> I, I've heard so many wonderful people who have said, "You you gave me this thing. How dare you take it away?" As a pilot, I, I want to have this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that people love this, and we're going to work as fast as we can. I mean, we are in a wonderful stage of preparing to look at what um, numbers look like. So that is a, a good thing to be able to say that we are preparing ourselves for what the next steps are to begin looking at what to do to make it available to people.
5: Okay. Well, make Texas one of the sooner states that get it. (laughs) 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 Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Okay, next is Sean.
1: Good evening. Great presentation. Um, Are we going to see a change? at some point to the layout of the BARD mobile app so that it works a little bit more like the Books app on iOS. Um, it's it, the, the, the challenge uh,
0: w- when, I was, uh, when I used to teach uh, adaptive technology was the fact that you had to go and use the website part of the app to add something back to your wish list and then go back to the wish list and play it. And is it going to be something where, like, you find the book in the list and it starts to stream and play? Um, are we looking at
1: making that app um, more um, more concise in its in its layout? I would like to see some changes there. Oh, great question. What I can tell you, as far as I know, on our beginning conversations with this, is we are having discussions on Bard. 2.0 on what that's going to look like. That has kind of, I would say, slowed because we are focusing on the e-reader, but that is definitely something that we are going to be picking up some steam on because we believe it is time to begin preparing for a transition of BARD to the next generation of what this looks like. As stated before, one of the things that we know that we're going to be doing is transitioning it to the cloud, and that will allow, um, hopefully, for faster speeds and definitely a much, I would say, more memory-filled item, which allows us to think about how our collection can be increased and also just for connectivity so people have a little bit more choice. Once those things begin, then we will start focusing on the user interface for BARD 2.0. I can't say exactly what that's going to look like, but I've written down your request for our IT department to kind of examine and see what they will be thinking. Because I'm quite sure once we start changing items and updating them that we're going to have a test phase in which we're going to want users to tell us what they think of the features that we might have created. So stay tuned on that one. But we are beginning to think about BAR 2.0 as I am talking.
2: Thank you.
0: Okay, Randy is next.
2: Great presentation. My, I guess this goes back to BARD being in the cloud. I would love to be able to use BARD Mobile on both my iPhone and iPad and read the same book. And no matter which device I'm reading it on, pick up right where I left off. Okay. And we Pennsylvanians are excited too about the C Reader. So great news there. Looking forward to that. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Randy.
1: Thank you. Noting that. So I want to make sure I have it because I know what this looks like. It's basically if one had a book and you simply set it down and you put your page marker in it, you were able to come back to that on any device and start off where you were at between the two devices or even more. Okay. Definitely going to uh, have that one written down.
2: Sometimes I like to use my iPad when I'm here at home and use my iPhone when I'm out and I have to basically use one no matter what, because I have to fast forward in the book or rewind in the book to, pick, to get back to my spot. So that would be a very nice addition.
1: Thank you. I can already tell that's a syncing mechanism that has to go along with that because when devices are like that, they both need to be able to sync with each other to make sure they're constantly updated on probably where you last stopped. So that definitely is an interesting
0: feature. Okay, you, phone user, area code 407.
4: Some of the older devices uh, that were out with braille displays like some of the original things from hymns like i have a u2 um, Mm -hmm. that has an app to read braille books you can download either braille or audio books it's absolutely wonderful um but when i got you know some of the later devices like the braille sense 6 for instance we don't have an app like that and when i've asked about it if they could put one on They have said, um, you know, that you guys have to give them permission to do that, that you want us to use the Bard mobile app. And, you know, it's not bad for audio books, but for Braille books, that Bard mobile app using it on a device um, like something like the Braille Sense, for instance, the Braille Sense 6 or some of the newer devices really does not work well at all. It's just not an effective hmm. app to use on there. And I really do wish that um, you would work with some of the companies like Hims and things like that and, you know, give them the authorization to um, put an app like they used to have back on some of the current devices for Braille books.
1: I would definitely examine this. I'm quite sure there's a few ooh, areas that I know I'm going to need to connect to on this question since i'm coming through the door on what challenges probably were in place that made nls not want to do this so i will examine this okay. one and come back with an answer
4: well, that would be I- extremely helpful sure. and very appreciative
1: thank you need to work with the companies to get permission
0: You have an app. Thank you, Shirley. Okay, next is Betsy.
6: I was an e-reader tester and loved it. It was definitely a different machine, but I learned it and was able to train other Georgia patrons. But my question is: um, we were told at the beginning Bookshare was going to be made available and it still isn't. Is that still in the works?
1: Oh, it is. (laughs) It, It is. Uh, that is something that we've had to navigate very thoughtfully. Um we have been working, I would say, very methodically on that specific item. There are some things that we need to make sure that we could pass when it comes to a few in-house questions, particularly from, I would say, some legal entities as to why we would have that specific vendor on and what happens to anybody else if they ask. So there are some processes that we needed to think about In the event someone else says, why aren't we on this? So we needed to be very methodical and also fair if that time comes, which I'm quite sure is coming soon once that occurs, for us to have a rubric that allows us to give an answer as to when someone might be allowed to be placed on a device. As I said, one of the things that's really helpful at this is we are trying to make sure that if we don't have things in our collection that our users might benefit from, we want to make sure that we at least can direct you to who has it while also not allowing advantages is the easiest way to say that by another vendor over another. So we think we are navigating this in a really strategic way and one that allows us to be equitable to all persons who might connect with us through conversations to say, what does it look like if we wanted to share some information with you for your users, because you might not have it in your collection. So that's where that comes from. I
6: appreciate it. Yeah, i miss it because to be honest, they have more books that I enjoy reading than the NOS does. I do read real books from you all, get them from Utah. I do pull books off on bard on the on another on the e-reader, but bookshare definitely has more of the type that I would read, and mm-hmm. um, their descriptions are actually better because in a book club I'm in, they use the bookshare descriptions for the book instead of your all's descriptions. So it's just interesting you could tell more from their descriptions what the book is about. They give more details.
1: I fully appreciate that. Just know that I think that what you just said will also have an impact in the coming months as well. I think you will see there will be a change to annotations coming quite soon. But that's all I can say on that.
6: I appreciate it. Thanks for taking time for us tonight.
1: Quite welcome. I will say for uh, all of the listeners who are still hanging there with us. I know it's getting a little bit after nine. One of the things that I can say that I do enjoy about this job is I get to utilize two parts of experiences that I've had early on before I went into culinary arts and then followed by uh, the sciences, a degree in biology, I had a little bit of a background in IT. And this position in a unique way has allowed me to merge the information science, which is librarianship, with the information technology, because NLS crafts, creates requests, demands, requisitions, prototypes of different things to be created either in-house or by a partner to do that for us. So in a unique way, I get to, in a sense, ask for something to be created for our users and then begin to work on how to create that. That's a very tremendous thing for somebody to be able to do. And not many people have that unique opportunity to see something that they have requested actually be crafted the way that they would like it to be. Very rare opportunity. So as as I listen to you, a lot of these things will go back to the parts of my staff, and I hope to get answers, and I will email this back to Larry as soon as possible, because I'm quite sure, I think I'm already up to like 20 questions You guys have been great with giving me additional items. So I'm definitely working off of the taxpayer dollars that you've given me tonight. Thank you so much.
0: And Jason, thank you for being with us. It's been a tremendous hour and uh, lots of great things to look forward to. And we thank you for letting us know all about these.
1: You're quite welcome. And if you have any questions, I'm quite sure you might want to connect them if you want to, Larry. Or you can find me. It's quite easy to find, NLS Director, and you can send them directly to me. And once I think I've gotten all of them, I will then compile them and then report them back so that the community will have uh, the latest updates on where we are at. Because for some of you, you might have heard, like, again, of the Bookshare item, but not have known that we are moving very uh, rapidly with that. Some newer updates as well. A lot of these were quite interesting to me, and I look forward to seeing what some of these answers are so I can get these back to you yourself.
0: Excellent. Once again, thank you. And next week on Tech Talk, I'll tell you about the next couple of weeks. Next week, we're looking forward to Anna Dresner, who will be with us. She wrote a book not too long ago about iOS 15, and we'll be talking about features that she thinks might be of interest to you about iOS 15 and in two weeks, Janet Dickelman will be with us. She is the convention coordinator for ACB. And uh, every year, she comes by and tells us all the things that are going to be happening. And this time, it'll be about the 2022 uh, convention in Omaha, Nebraska in July. So lots of good things to look forward to, and we're planning beyond that. So we hope you'll join us next week, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific, for Tech Talk.